All right, please take your Bibles. Join me in Genesis chapter 11. Let's continue our series through the book of Genesis on Sunday mornings. As you know, my original intent was to cover the first 11 chapters, make a decision. I'm getting so much out of it, I'm just going to keep going, I think. And uh, you say, I'm not getting anything out of it. Well, I'm sorry, I am. And um, you can make a decision when you're up here. Um, Now, (laughs) obviously all the Bible is profitable, amen? But there's something about these first 11 chapters in the book of Genesis that are very important. They are foundational. It really lays the groundwork for all that's going to follow throughout the rest of the Word of God. And I believe this is why, out of all the Bible, probably the most attacked portion is the first 11 chapters of Genesis. I mean, think about it. Creation's been attacked to no end. Look what we ended up with there. Oh, let's not have a a creator. Let's have evolution. Yeah, good call. That really makes sense. And and so it's been attacked in in so many ways because the devil is the father of lies. And so let's take these foundational truths, let's corrupt them from the beginning, and then we can just question all the rest. And so it's very important in these opening chapters in Genesis that we're understanding these fundamental truths because it's going to help us understand the rest of the Bible as it unfolds. If you want to rightly divide the Word of God, understand what God is saying here. I believe it was J. Vernon McGee and his awesome accent. You see Brother Long for a replica. He does a good job. He said something to this effect. New believers would be far better off to begin in Genesis instead of Revelation. And I just want to say I wholeheartedly agree. Don't get so caught up in all the prophecy opinions that are out there, but get a firm grasp on Genesis first. Some things I've covered to a depth that it may seem like it was unnecessary to hear or just sort of gee whiz information, but my hope is the 70 messages so far in this series have been a help in establishing a solid foundation as you make your way through the Bible. And by the way, just because you may chalk something up as not really necessary, it doesn't mean, or you may even hear a whole message here sometimes and go, I don't, I don't get it, who cares? It doesn't mean it wasn't beneficial to others. So before you think, why do I need to know this? Please consider that maybe somebody else does. We're all at different stages of growth. And when you take a who cares about this attitude, you're suggesting God doesn't know what we need to hear. Or at a minimum, you can say, I'm not in tune. And you demonstrate a lack of wanting to grow yourself or a lack of patience in those who are growing. All right, I'm not preaching. Everybody chill out. And um, our pace may, may be slow at times. And there's areas where I could have spent more time. But by no, I, I'm not suggesting I've exhausted these chapters, okay? Uh, please go back and keep studying this. It's so important. So enough of that. After covering the Tower of, of Babel, <clears throat> Babel or Babel over the last two weeks, we've come to the last section now of chapter 11. And I know it may not excite us much because it's a genealogy. Yeah! Woo! Preacher, preacher, I love genealogies. 
I had this on my calendar when we started Genesis. Let's not forget, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Amen. It is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So these genealogies, they are put here by God. It's important we just don't write them off as insignificant or unworthy of our time. So with that, let's begin today in chapter 11. Let's begin in verse 10, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. And don't worry, I'm not going to do like I did in chapter 10 when I gave you that cool Hebrew pronunciation. Yeah, right, whatever. Verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. Shem was a hundred years old and begat Arphaxad two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he begat Arphaxad 500 years and begat sons and daughters. And Arphaxad lived five and thirty years and begat Salah. And Arphaxad lived after he begat Salah 403 years and begat sons and daughters. And Salah lived 30 years and begat Eber. And Salah lived after he begat Eber 403 years and begat sons and daughters. And did I read one of those wrong? All right, I don't know. Um, and, Eber lived after, and Eber lived four and 30 years and begat Peleg. And Eber lived after he begat uh, Peleg 430 years and begat sons and daughters. And Peleg lived 30 years and begat Ryu, who became a street fighter. Uh, sorry, 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 sorry. You may have been my age and grow up with Nintendo. All right. And Peleg lived after he begat Ryu 209 years and begat sons and daughters. And Ryu lived two and 30 years and begat Sarug. And Ryu lived after he begat Sarug 207 years and begat sons and daughters. And Sarug lived 30 years and begat Nahor. And Sarug lived after he begat Nahor 200 years and begat sons and daughters. And Nahor lived 9 and 20 years and he begat Terah. And Nahor lived after he begat Terah 119 years and begat sons and daughters. And Terah lived 70 years and begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, the, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, and his son Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So this is now the third time in our series through the book of Genesis we've come to a genealogy. And, and really, chapter 10 wasn't really a genealogy so much as it was a description of nations. And it's called the Table of Nations. And that wasn't really a genealogy per se, but just how people spread abroad throughout the earth after the flood. And, and you got to remember, when we get to these genealogies, what's happening? We're ultimately building up to Christ. He is the grand object of the Bible. And you ought to look for Christ every page. And so we're building up to the Lord Jesus Christ here. Um, he was first prophesied in Genesis 3.15 that God said that there would be a seed of the woman that would arrive one day and He would bruise the head of Satan. 
And that's, we got the start in 315. And now we're working our way up through Christ and we're building up to His arrival. And what God does in His Word is He continues to narrow it down so that we're left with no doubt by the time He shows up. We saw in chapter 5 how the line went from Adam through Seth to Noah. Adam, Seth, and then down to Noah. In chapter 9, we saw the line was narrowed to Noah's son, Shem. Remember that the Messiah would arise from the tents of Shem. And now in, verse, in these verses in chapter 11, we, we find that the seed line is going from Shem to Abram, who later becomes Abraham. One thing we're struck with right away as we read this genealogy is how the average lifespan is dropping after the flood. In chapter 5, there are 10 men listed, Adam to Noah, and if we eliminate Enoch, since he was translated that he should not see death, then the average lifespan on the other side of the flood in the seed line was 912 years. (laughs) That sounds miserable. Um, I'm including Noah, though he was on both sides of the flood. He lived to be 950. But now, here in this, in this genealogy, we are given ten men from Shem, who also was on both sides of the flood, down to Abram. And the average lifespan in this genealogy is now dropped to 321 years. And other than a couple minor exceptions, it's dropping every generation. There's a steady decline. Shem, who begins this, lives 600 years, and Abram will live 175 years. It's not going to be long after that that we settle into what is now common. In fact, by the time we get to Moses, he says, you're doing well if you live 70 to 80 years. Some of you are on borrowed time, amen? It's all right. We're we're all going to be there, I hope. And so I only point this out to highlight how it appears before the flood, things were different uh, atmospherically. Uh, Something was different in this world. I'm not going to re-preach all that. I already covered it. But it does appear as we read this, something has happened to this earth as a result of a global flood. And that's ultimately what's important, is we're seeing something that is affecting the earth. And lifespans are dropping. The generations are getting shorter. The length of life has been greatly affected. Now, I believe the Bible has already been clear that it's a global flood, but this is just another little nugget maybe to help us realize, no, this was a global event. And nobody should really attack that, although that's one of the things that's under attack. Interestingly, interestingly enough, before the flood in Genesis 5 and then in Genesis 11 here after the flood, these are the only two genealogies in the Bible that make mention of how long they lived. Clearly, we're meant to take note of this change in lifespan, and I believe it is to highlight the significance of God's judgment upon this earth. Now, another observation between these two genealogies, chapter 5, and then in really chapter 10 as well, in in chapter 5, there's an emphasis on how all those men died. But in chapter 11 now, in this genealogy, the last thing that is said of them is that they lived. When you're in chapter 5, remember it said, uh, they begat sons and daughters, blah, 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 they lived, and he died. And the emphasis was sin had entered the world, and that's not how God created it, and now we're all dying. But it's interesting here, after the flood, still have a sin nature, and yet it's not emphasizing, and they died. It says, and they lived. The lifespans are getting shorter, 
But it's like our attention is being drawn to the effect, uh, to, the, to the fact that, that there's Christ on the way. Hey, life is on the way. Forgiveness is on the way. We can be born again. And, and God, it's almost like God's highlighting this. No, I'm not talking about dying. I'm talking about living. And I hope you're in the land of the living. Now, let's get into this a little bit more beginning in verse 10. The, the seed line here, it starts with Shem, because we already saw in chapter 9 that it would be through the tents of Shem. And so here it starts with Shem, and it's going to go through Abram. Remember at the Tower of Babel that they were not interested in God. They wanted to be their own God. Humanism had taken root, and they wanted to make a name for themselves. Remember that? Well, this is intriguing because as we're getting drawn back toward the arrival of the promised seed, Shem's name means name. Yeah, I know. I'd cry if I had that name too. I mean, can you imagine this poor guy's first day at school? What's your name? Name. No, no, yes. What's your name? Name. All right, forget it. I'm just going to call you name. That's what I'm telling you. Shem, meaning name, it has the idea that this was a man who had a prominent position. It's a name of honor. It's a name of recognition. Now, why should Shem have such a name? Because through Shem's line would come Abram, who would be changed to Abraham, who would give rise to the promised seed. And so this is a, this is a stake in the ground. This is an important step here in the Bible as it unfolds. Shem, a name. God's going to get Himself a name, as it were. And He's going to do that through this line. The world is plunging deeper into humanism, deeper into idolatry, but God has not forgot His promise that He's going to bring the promised seed in the world to bruise Satan. There's a great contrast here. When we consider the Tower of, of Babel and what is taking place in this genealogy. God had confounded those who wanted a name for themselves in the earth. And now God is shifting the focus to Shem, who means name, and how this leads to Abram. And God will give a name. Remember, they wanted a name. God will give a name, but it will be on His terms. And in His timing. So God is going to do this, but it has to be the way God says. And and this is fascinating because when we get to Abram, in the beginning of chapter 12, God will say to Abram, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee. And what does He say? And make thy name great. There's a contrast here that's taking place. He says, and you're going to be a blessing. By using Shem, who means name, by making Abram's name great, God eventually is going to bring Jesus into the world who is going to be given a name which is above every name. Whoop! Yeah. Adrian wanted to take how many laps in Sunday school? Five laps. She was, she was taking track. Uh, that was take a lap right there, Suge, at six. All right. After church, we're going to let her run around. Amen. Ah, praise God. Now, I need to get ahead of the text just for a moment and mention how Abram's name is going to be changed to Abraham. 
and that will mean a father of nations. And, and God will bring about a new nation through Abraham's grandson, Jacob, whose name will be changed to Israel when he's converted. And he's, he's, God is going to do this. Why? For the purpose of getting a name. This is what it says in 2 Samuel 7.23. And what one nation in the earth is like thy people, even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to Himself and to make Him a name. God is going to get a name. Through this nation, we know God ushers in the Messiah. And while they were great with respect to being the line through which Christ arrives, and by receiving the oracles or the words of God, they overwhelmingly forsake God. And so, God's name will be great in the earth primarily how? Through the nations, plural. The Abraham, the father of nations. Or we'd say it this way, it's going to be through the Gentiles that God's name is going to be great in the earth. Listen to this, Malachi 1.11. For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place incense shall be offered unto my name in a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. They didn't want God. God says, I'll find somebody who wants me. His Spirit's not always going to strive with you. And you may be sitting here lost and you think, I've got time. You may not. And so there's not only a contrast with the name issue, but there's also a contrast with them wanting to stay put in the plain of Shinar as they're building this tower and God wanting them to go forth and fill the earth. Remember from the beginning of chapter 9, God wanted man to spread out throughout the earth. In fact, it was His blessing to them. And He wanted them to go out and He wanted His name to be great in the earth. He wanted them to fill the earth, but they dug in their heels at the Tower of Babel in direct opposition to God, and they decided, we're not going anywhere. Well, this is fascinating as well, because in Genesis 12, 1, God will say to Abram, get thee out of thy country. I don't want you staying put. Get you out of your country from your kindred, from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. God wants Abram to go, and so he obeys. And these are phenomenal contrasts when you study this out between the Tower of Babel and what's taking place in this genealogy. Now, as we read verses 10 through 26 with the knowledge that we're building up to Jesus, then we are reminded of how Jesus would be born of the seed of the woman. Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5 say, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Have you ever wondered why Jesus had to be born into this world? Why couldn't God just show up and die? Why does Jesus have to be born, offer Himself a ransom for many? Why did Jesus have to live a life among us and then be sacrificed? Well, we could do an entire series on that thought. Let me give you some quick thoughts. One reason is we needed a sacrifice who could fulfill the law of God. 
Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17 and 18, Think not that I am come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. He came to fulfill the law. God, why? God needed perfect blood to save us, to take away our sins. It required perfect blood. See, I don't like a bloody religion. You're in the wrong place. That's how God takes care of our sin. And he said, your sin will never do. It's been corrupted by Adam's race. You're a sinner. You're born a sinner. And God said, you need a perfect sacrifice. And the only way to do that is if I will robe myself in flesh and come dwell among you, fulfill the law of God, be perfect, be sinless, be spotless, and then offer myself. And then I can put that blood upon the mercy seat and you can have mercy and grace. Amen. What a thought. This is why Jesus had to be born of a virgin. Because he could not be tainted with Adam's sin nature. Another reason God's word needed to be fulfilled is God gave a lot of prophecies. And God needs to fulfill those prophecies or else God would be found a liar. Who wants a God that lies to you? God said, I want you to know you can trust my word. That what I say is true. And so all these prophecies needed to be Fulfill. There's a lot of things we could add, but let me give you this reason before we move on. And, and, th- and this is great. Adrian, make this number seven on your list of laps. God loves us so much that He not only died for us, but He lived from birth so that He could identify with us. Amen. Why somebody would reject true Christianity is beyond me. Amen. There is no other religion, if we can call it that, there's no other uh, faith, there's no other theology out that offers this. God said, I love you so much, I'm going to live among you. I'm going to be tempted as you were tempted. I'm going to get tired as you were tired. I'm going to thirst. I'm going to hunger. I'm going to know what it's like to grieve. I'm going to know what it's like to have so much pressure on me, I'm going to bleed from my forehead. God says, I want to identify with you. Why? So that we might have a faithful high priest. There is no other God like our God. Hebrews 2, 16-18, For verily He took not on Him the nature of angels, but He took on Him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved Him to be made like unto His brethren, that He might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that He Himself hath suffered being tempted, He is able to succor them that are tempted, tempted, or to help them that are tempted. Hebrews 4.15, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Let me read that again slower. We have not an high priest, Jesus Christ. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. But was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Just let that sink in. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Why? For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. 
from birth to death, our Lord knows what we go through. But there's a lot of people that act like God is out of touch. God can't be reached. God doesn't care. No. He robed Himself in flesh to care. Of course He already cared, but you get what I'm saying. He cares for us like none other because He went through this life, but He did it sinless. What does that do for you? It means that He knows the way of escape. He knows how to help you through. See, I can't seem to get victory. He knows the way. And, and not only that, not only does He know what it's like to be tempted and all those things I mentioned earlier, but He knows what it's like to die. When we get to the end of our life and we don't want to walk through that valley, Jesus said, I've already been there. And I'll be with you through it. It's a point when a man wants to die, and I'm not looking forward to death, to be honest with you. Oh, but you go to heaven, I know that, but who wants to go through the pain of dying? But the last enemy to be swallowed up is death. Say, so you hoping for the rapture? Sure. That'd be pretty sweet. Amen. So he was born of a woman, lived this life, died upon the cross, rose again, that we might have the confidence of knowing we have a faithful high priest who is making intercession for us. Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly. That means with confidence. Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Don't forget that Jesus not only lived a sinless life for us, He not only died for us, but He now lives again for us. In other words, don't let your salvation experience merely just be you being saved from hell. But understand that our Lord wants to walk with us through this life and then through death because He doesn't want us left alone. This is not a launch and leave operation that God has done here. This is, I'm not only going to save you, I want to walk with you. What a thought. Let's act like Baptists. Let's get excited. God doesn't just offer us salvation and then say, you figure it out and we'll just see how things go. I hope you make it. God has given us His Word. God wants to guide us to the other side. In addition to this, I want us to consider this simple yet profound thought, in my opinion, here from verses 10 through 26 as we get this listing of names. When we consider how Christ is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, right? And how He's the promised seed of the woman all the way back after the fall, Genesis 3.15. We can see, don't miss this, our Father has planned it all. I read a book once, a guy gave me in another church, would you read this, it's my life's work, I was ashamed it was his life's work, I wanted to, anyway, read it, gave my opinion, but it was all about how God had to figure things out after Satan messed it up in the garden. No, God's in complete control. My Father planned it all. What am I saying? When you come to these genealogies in the Bible and you think, uh, God knows the end from the beginning. These are not random people. Are you with me? God knew who would be in His seed line before they were ever born. God knew their parents. And God knew who their offspring would be. 
God knows, he's omniscient, he knows everything. It's the foreknowledge of God, but don't confuse that with the uh, foreordaining of God. Two different things. I'm I'm trying to tell you this, folks, and and I know this is going to hit somebody. You are not here by chance. You are not an accident. Maybe your parents didn't plan for you. You're not an accident. God has you here for a purpose. Now, the evolutionist, they want people to reject creation want us to believe that all of this that we see is just a cosmic accident that happened billions of years ago. Random chance, here we are. And when you break down their theology, they're saying this, we really should not be here. And if you hold to evolution, you're not thinking it through. Number one, you're rejecting God's Word. But number two, you're basically saying we should not be here. It is all an accident. It was all by chance. Therefore, we live, we die. That's it. What a miserable thought. What's there to live for? But when you grasp the importance of these genealogies, how we're leading up to Jesus, who was God in the flesh, who would bleed and die for sinners, then it helps us to understand God is concerned with your life. This is not an accident this morning. This church is not an accident. God birthed it. So how did He do that? He gave us blood. The church of God which He hath purchased with His blood. And here's what I want you to get. He, He loves us. He cares enough to redeem us. God must have a purpose for your life. Don't ever buy the lie that God doesn't care, that God doesn't love, that you're just here by chance and I hope it all works. No, no, no. God loves you. And I believe this ought to bring you comfort because when we read these names and we understand that God had planned it, God knows your name. No, no, He knows your name. Think about that. The Creator God who spoke everything into existence, knows you. That's amazing. He's concerned about you. He knows who you are. He knew you before you were born. God knew the date of your arrival. He knows the date of your expiration. This is such a glorious thought. God, the Creator, Knows me. We're going to hear the song here in just a moment. But it declares, The one who knows the number of all the stars knows you. The one who knows the number of sands on the sea, He knows you. The one who sees every sparrow that falls... He knows you. The one who made the mountains and the seas, He knows you. The one who is in control of everything, all creatures, great and small, He knows you. 
Man, He knows you. He cares about you. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. I don't know what's in store. I don't know a lot of things. I don't have all the answers to the questions of life. But God does. He knows you. And He knows my name. Every step that I take, every move that I make, every tear that I cry, He knows my name. When I'm overwhelmed by the pain and can't see the light of day, I know I'll be just fine because He knows my name. He knew who I was when He carried my cross. He knew that I would fail Him, but He took the loss. And He knows my name. Listen, please. God loves you. God died for you. God rose again for you. You are not an accident. Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. God has a plan. Psalm 139.14, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. God formed you. He knew your eye color, your hair color, your skin color, your height. And He has a plan for you. And and at the the heart of that is God wants a relationship with you. God knows you, but He wants you to know Him. You are special to God. If you're lost today, God wants to save you. He wants you to see that He knows your name. And if you'll come to Him in faith, He will save you. And He'll put a great name upon you. He will give us His name. If you're born again, God wants you to trust that He knows your name. He knows what you're going through. He knows what it's like to go through it. And He desires to walk with you through this life. God wants you to take comfort in this and live a life of joy and peace because you've learned to trust Him in all things. And if you need to respond today, I would invite you to do so. Let's pray.